I want to add some thoughts to this weekend's March for Life. The Gillette Shaving Company put out an absolutely insane commercial. Steve King is in some deserved trouble. I also want to talk about Tulsi Gabbard. That and more on this week's Corey True Act Show. This is the best thing, the best thing that could be happening. And I think you would agree the best thing is that it's happening to you and me. In sequence, here's what we're going to do on the show today. I want to talk about March for Life and some thoughts on abortion. It's, it's worth talking about this time of year every year as we recognize what's come and gone with Roe versus Wade. It happened in January of 1973. Uh, this Gillette ad that's about toxic masculinity. I want to res- uh, talk about that some. Steve King, the congressman from Iowa, said some just gigantically terrible racist things. Republicans are responding well and punishing him. I want to do that. Tulsi Gabbard is a Democrat from Hawaii who has declared she's running for president. She's intriguing, and I want to talk about an idea I have there. And then if we have time, yourmorals.org has a really interesting test you can take. I want to discuss about morality. And then uh, I want to talk about Russia and Trump with some, uh, I think, ideas and reactions that might surprise just about everybody. So, And if we have time, some thoughts on the NFL playoffs as well. So that is the table set before you. We shall feast in just a moment. My name is Corey Truax. We are dedicated to smarter, deeper, better talk about everything here on the Corey Truax Show. Glad to have you with us over on the podcast or live on Christian Talk 660. Uh, Just like last week where I had a moment of personal privilege I have another one this week with uh, with congratulations to uh, Mr. Chandler Motes, a great friend of mine, uh, who went through ordination this week with a, a great, uh, I hate to say career, but a great calling ahead of him uh, in uh, in ministry, and he, he and his wife. So uh, uh, I actually, I'm recording this before he's given me the report of his ordination, but assuming he didn't say anything heretical, and I don't think he did, because uh, I know the guy, then I'm sure everything went quite well. All right, so uh, again, points to personal privilege. You should get in touch with the show. Another um, one of those. Uh, Brandon, who listens to the show, had a great idea to start putting notes in the uh, in the description of the show. So if you get it on Anchor, you get it on iTunes, wherever you if you get it on the podcast, you don't get it live on Christian Talk 660. That's something I'm going to endeavor to do. That's an easier thing to do than another listener and also a friend, Wesley, who wants to try to turn this podcast into what Ben Shapiro and all these other guys do and turn it into video. Uh, that's ambitious. And I don't know what I'm doing, but we might try something like that here in the future. So that is all the exciting things that might be coming. Uh, oh, I, I feel like I'm. Oh, I am leaving something out. Beachwood Church. Well, that's where I am, the pastor for teaching. Beachwood Church, only for a little while longer, is going to be meeting at Greenville High School. Uh, but coming up at the first Sunday in February, you're invited back to uh, the land that we have. We've had a building for, well, I guess, almost two decades. Uh, that is over uh, on on 123, leaving easily going into Greenville. Uh, it's a cool little building, uh, and it's it's much more homey. And so we're going to be moving back there the first Sunday in February. You're cordially invited to join us there at Beachwood Church. Now, there is a Sunday on the American church calendar, as it were, where a lot of churches decide to recognize the yearly remembrance, I guess we can call it, of the decision of Roe versus Wade. And I don't like to let my show go by that same weekend and not mention it. Because I I guess I'll give you my deeper thinking. Abortion for a long time in conservative radio was something you don't talk about. uh, Because it's 
it brings up a lot of passions and it'll make people a lot, a lot of people angry. And then on the other end, in conservative talk radio, everyone seems to agree on it. And it's just not a topic you're supposed to get into. I think that's a terrible idea. I don't want to be counted among the folks that ignored this because I'm going to say a bold thing, but a thing that I think 100 years from now, I'll, I think history will look kindly on. America's had some serious sins. Slavery was, I think, probably the chief among them. How we went about the relocation of the natives on this continent is another. And then abortion. The mass slaughter of absolutely innocent children in the womb. And we should not let days go by and then days go by and then weeks and then months and not think through what we've done and then challenge ourselves as believers if that's that's not who exclusively who listens to my show but that's the majority to ask if we've even prayed over it to ask if we've given any effort over to ending this genocide you know there's a great organization out there where you can pay for uh, pay for people's ultrasounds. There's actually several out there. But if you just Google that, or even your, your, your local crisis pregnancy center, they could use your 20 bucks. Now you, I, th- I, th- I can't remember how much an ultrasound costs at some of these places. I think I heard 70 bucks. But when you, when you see the numbers of when a woman sees their ultrasound, how how the chances of them killing their child plummets. It's worth paying for. I made a, a contribution last year to uh, one of those organizations that just tries to pay for ultrasounds for those cult, for those places so that women can see what they're doing. And so I want to mention it as one of our greatest national sins. I actually do think it's going to be one of the things, like 100 years, here we are in 2019, we look back on the 1700s and 1800s and go, how on earth, how on earth did we do slavery in the moral degradation that took? How did we do that as people? I truly believe 100 years from now, that's how we're going to look back on abortion. I I, I could say that on some other things. I I actually think that's how we're going to look back on how, not that, but how we produced all the meat we eat. I don't think we're going to necessarily come to a place that eating meat was always immoral, but the way that we've done it, the way that we have gone, basically industrial farming and industrial, we grow animals just for the express purpose of slaughtering them and eating them. We pump them all full of hormones to grow them up faster. Like, we're going to look back on that 100 years from now and go, whoa, that was not right. But in a much more profound way, we're going to look back on the mass slaughter of human beings defenseless in the womb and we are going to be embarrassed by it. Let me encourage you to go back on my feed. I actually had this discussion, this debate with a young man, a secular guy, uh, who was fairly pro-choice, made made his argument quite well, um, but I I always come back to this for most abortion debates. Two two big points, and we'll move along. One is we always have the debate incorrectly in this country. We have the debate on the very edges, uh, on the very extremes, where there's actually quite a bit of agreement amongst Americans. There's a vast majority of Americans that say no abortion after six months. There is a vast majority of Americans that are okay with abortion in the first 
three months, so in the first 13 weeks or so, in the first trimester, vast majority of Americans are okay with it. And then those numbers switch in the in the last trimester. So the question uh, at first, before we can get to actually ending outright murder, we get to that second trimester and try to figure out, well, what changed, guys? At what point did this process change for you? At what point did this did this entity become a person deserving of being protected by the law? And if you start breaking that down and someone decides 20 weeks, 22 weeks, 24 weeks, you do have to then challenge that moment. What was different in this entity, in this being, at 21 weeks, 6 days, 23 hours, and 59 seconds? What was the difference in that second and that second? What was the point that you decided now, now at that point, this entity deserves protection of law? And we should be able to say with clarity, well, there's, there's no difference. And if we take that to its logical conclusion, then all you can get back to is either conception or implantation, one of the two, is the logical place to say that that's where life Begins. That's, I think, the most compelling argument in favor of doing away with abortion. Uh, but let us be prayerful. Let us be people who are active in wanting to see the end of it. It is one of our greatest national sins, the slaughter we've seen since Roe versus Wade in 1973. I mean, again, you can go back to my uh, archive from this time last year, and I told you a little bit about the story of the woman, Norma McCorvey, who is the Roe in Roe versus Wade, uh, and go back and get that content as well, I would highly encourage you to do it. Now, moving on. I'm going to play for you now a clip. This is from a commercial, a TV commercial that went, well, yeah, it went viral. We're over, getting close to 100 million views, even on YouTube. Uh, Gillette, the shaving company, put out an ad to criticize the, uh, uh, let's call it, what do they call it? Toxic masculinity. They're also coming on the on the back of the Me Too movement. I'm probably going to play it without interruption and then come back and just make some notes. Uh, but we need to discuss what Gillette put out here. Bullying. The Me Too movement against sexual harassment. masculinity. Is this the best a man can get? Is it? We can't hide from it. It's been going on far too long. We can't laugh it off. Who's the daddy? What I actually think she's trying to say. Making the same old excuses. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. But something finally changed. Allegations regarding sexual assault and sexual harassment. And there will be no going back. Because we, we believe in the best in men. Men need to hold other men accountable. Smile, sweetie. Come on. To say the right thing. To act the right um, way. Bro, not cool, not cool. Some already are. In ways big. Yo, men, And small. I am strong. I am strong. But some is not enough. It's not how we treat each other, okay? Okay. Because the boys watching today will be the men of tomorrow.
Okay, thanks, Gillette. Several thoughts there. So, if you, I know you can't see it because this is audio, uh, but the opening images are men behaving badly, being violent, catcalling women. Men are doing bad things. Okay, so this is this is the picture of manhood Gillette has. Which, by the way, Gillette, who do you think buys your product? Like this is this is the the people that buy your product. Your impression of them is they are violent, cantankerous, womanizing, bad people. And I'm looking now at my poor broadcasting skills that I've run up against the clock here just introducing this thing. Okay, so that's the commercial. I have to take a break. When we come back, I have, I think, three or four thoughts on what Gillette did poorly here and what they're putting out into the culture that we don't really need, and uh, we will we will correct it and critique it when we come back. So stick with us for the rest of the Corey Act show. Okay, so welcome back to the Corey Act show. Before the break, I played for you this Gillette commercial that's one viral that... Uh, if you have seen the images, it has men needing to shave off their toxic masculinity, which, by the way, meant shaving off their beards, which is a terrible idea. Uh, there, There is no example of a man who looks better without a beard. So, you know, if you're out there listening and you're beardless, that's fine. It's a fine way to live. You can live that way. I'm just saying, there's a... There's a better way, and that way is with facial hair. That's the best way to live. And so Gillette is saying, shave off your to- toxic masculinity using their products, and it opens with images of men behaving badly, and, which brings to thought that their impression of their customer is really bad. They think men are generally bad. And then here was their, their claim in the commercial. And then something changed. And the news clips are all about Me Too, the hashtag Me Too movement, which I did a whole lot of radio on, and... Generally, I had favorable things to say about it. Held accountable men who needed to be held accountable in powerful places who were using their power to get sexual favors or generally uh, violate, harass women and get things from women they wanted using their power and influence. That was happening in government, in Hollywood, in all kinds of different places. And it did likely, I, I would suspect, put some fear into some people who needed to feel it. Put some fear into some men who have power to uh, examine how they were using it in in the uh, in their uh, in their pursuit of women and, and female attention, so it was I think generally a good thing. I think it went too far in the end, but it was generally a good thing. And they and Gillette's making the claim here. So here's how men behave: they're violent, and they treat women poorly. And then Me Too came along, and then the images brighten up, and it's men breaking up fights. There's even an image of a guy who he's grilling out, and he sees two kids uh, rolling around, and they're 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 tussling and fighting, and he he goes up and says, yeah, "This this is not how we this is not how we treat each other." The, and so it was the Me Too movement that made men want to behave. Now, thought on thought on that. I, and I don't think I'm special. I don't harass women. You know why I don't I don't do that. It wasn't because of the Me Too movement. It's because that's the bad thing to do. And I had great parents, and even if I didn't, I would still know, hey, that's not good. They made the implication that men were were not just harassing, but sexually assaulting women. And then Me Too came along. You know why I don't assault women? You know why the vast, vast majority of men don't assault women? wasn't because of Me Too. It's because we know inherently, hey, that's bad. I'm not going to do that. 
That seems like a terrible thing to do. It wasn't the Me Too movement that put that into men. The vast majority of men behave themselves. When it comes to violence, or like it was one of these uh, images was of a guy breaking up a fight between kids. I live in a subdivision because I'm a yokel or whatever. Yuppie? Yeah, I think that's what it's called, a yuppie. There's a bunch of kids in my neighborhood. If I walked out to go to work one day and two 10-year-olds were like violently beating each other, not like tussling and having fun, because that's one way that guys play, by the way. That's another thing we should all recognize. One of the ways boys play is we wrestle, we fight. This is one of the big fun things I did with my nephews when they were younger. If I did that now, I wonder if I would prevail as they continue to grow. That's a, that's a thing we like to do. We like to get we like to get rough with each other. But if I walked out and two ten year olds, eleven year olds, for that matter, fifteen year olds were genuinely fighting, I'm a grown man. I'm going to intervene. I'm not going to do that because me too. Because of the me too movement, I'm going to do that because I'm a man and I know right from wrong. So these they set up this this thing where all men are bad. Men do bad things. And then Me Too came along, and now men behave. This is a terrible thing. And the final thing on the commercial. He said the, uh, that some men have changed, but it's not enough. This is an outright claim that the majority of men behave badly. The majority of men are violating women, harassing women, and assaulting women. That's the majority of men. Because they say some. Some men have changed. So this is this, uh, this, this view of toxic masculinity that is the wrong one. In general, men behave. We actually have the opposite problem. We don't have this toxic masculinity that is men using their power to get things for themselves and take advantage of others. We actually have a toxic masculinity in that we have beaten men down so much they don't actually take traditionally male roles. We've talked so much about toxic masculinity we have we've minimized the idea of a man taking charge be be active don't be passive go ahead and and be ambitious this is this is something we've done to men is we've we've taken some traditional male roles we told them that's toxic don't do that and then it's it's actually hurt the culture tell tell me it hasn't when men take their, their, their proper biblical role in the home, in the church, it has led to flourishing for everybody else. It's when we get these, these God-ordained things out of order that we start to run in to all kinds of issues. This is another part of the commercial you may not have picked up. One more thought on this, and i, I got to move on. There's this, uh, this idea in toxic masculinity that one of the things men do, especially in the professional setting, is talk over women. I'm sure this happens. I will tell you, I have often found that it is the opposite. Give you two scenarios. First, socially. In a scenario, socially, let's go with five couples get together. Five guys, five girls, because they're traditional. They're not other couples that have uh, we've, we've created culturally in the last several decades. Which, do you know who dominates the conversation I have found in those situations? The ladies dominate the conversation. I I would find it's actually hard for some men to get an, a, a word in edgewise in those situations. Now, I, now professionally, I host the show, but professionally, I w- work in higher education. That is, a, especially on the administrative side of things, that is a very female 
industry. I once worked in an office where I was the only guy. There were eight other, it was eight women and me. I will tell you, uh, being talked over versus talking over, I've certainly been talked over more than inserting myself into uh, into those things. And so, uh, I would just say, there is this toxic masculinity. There's probably something to it, but the way that Gillette put it out here, um, that generally men have been garbage and uh, need to simmer down, I I would say some men have behaved badly, and what we actually need to be inculcating in our boys and men is lead, be men of integrity, do the right things, live sacrificially, and go go get after it. Stop being passive. That is the the primary message I think our young men need. Okay, moving on. Steve King, next up. Let me give you the facts of the case first. Steve King is a congressman from Iowa. He said a really stupid thing. He he's flirted with this language in the past. And I've, I've not been a fan. I've not been a fan of Steve King for a long time, but he said it more, uh, more clearly here to the New York Times, where in an interview with the New York Times, he said that, uh, let me give you the quote, white nationalist, white supremacist, Western civilization, when did these become bad words? Whoa, Steve. White nationalist, white supremacist, Western civilization, when did these become bad words? Well, first, uh, those three things aren't the same, right? So white nationalist, the idea that we want our nation to be has to have some racial purity. We want, we want Caucasians in it. That's one. White supremacist, we think white people are naturally superior. And then Western civilization. We're going back to the Greeks for that, brother. What are you doing? with Like Western civilization includes lots of different kinds of people. Did you know in the Western civilization... There's Italy, there's Spain, that's Western civilization. What are you talking, you know who else is in the Western Hemisphere, by the way? All of Latin America. Now, they might have not have been influenced as much by the Europeans that came to North America, but there's a lot in common here. You, the, the, putting those three things in a sentence, white nationalism, white supremacy, and Western civilization in the same category, you need to go back to like to some kind of class, read a book congressman those aren't those aren't the same thing now he said when did those become bad words okay well here we go white nationalism when did it become a bad word by its nature it's a bad word uh the person who would hold the position that i would like my country to only have my race uh just naturally as we uh, have in morality that we don't value people by the color of their skin we value them by the content of their character uh by uh by their conduct that is immoral it's an immoral philosophy to be a white nationalist. That is a bad word. White supremacy. I think by the melanin count of someone's, uh, this is, I'm not, I'm not saying this, I'm quoting somebody, uh, I'm quoting a person who would be a white supremacist. This person thinks that by the melanin count in someone's skin, they're better naturally. All right, so that's immoral, again, because we, we see, especially from the Christian perspective, all people are made in the image of God. There is not one uh, one group, one one ethnic group, better than the other. They're all made equally in the image of God. So white nationalism, white supremacy, just by morality, based on a biblical worldview, yeah, those are bad words, Congressman. They're, they're absolutely terrible things. They've caused all kinds of wreckage and suffering for humankind, especially in the last century or so. And then you hit Western civilization. He goes to the New York Times. He says, when did Western civilization become a bad word? Well, this one I, I could agree on. 
Western civilization should not be a bad word, and it has become that, especially in academia. Uh, because folks in academia say that Western civilization is full of colonizers, folks that went to Africa, went to Latin America, colonized people, and forced their values on them and forced their way of thinking. I would not be on board for saying Western civilization was a bad thing. Uh, Western civilization is something there, there, where there should be a lot of pride. Uh, the, the system of laws that govern most of the world now came out of Western civilization. Uh, our greatest philosophers, co- going from Plato to Descartes. I mean, you get me through uh, all the way through. Who am I thinking of? The uh, Thomas Hobbes. I mean, give me some of the some of those guys. I mean, the great philosophers we read. This, this is of Western civilization. It's Western civilization that gives birth to modern medicine, modern science, the Enlightenment, the scientific method. Now, most of our medicines, hospitals. It's the uh, it's Western civilization that's given us. Uh, representative government, like this, Western civilization is a good thing. And it has nothing to do (laughs) with the fact that a lot of Western civilization happens to be white. How did you connect, Congressman, white people to just, that's Western civilization. Now, Western civilization is just the the system that's come in the last, you know, we'll take it to the 1400s, 1500s, that has been most influential on the planet, and it's been good for people. I'm grateful for Western civilization. So, here we have white. He says white nationalism, white supremacy, Western civilization. When do these become a bad word? Where the first two are on their face immoral by a biblical worldview. The third, you've connected to the first two somehow, and so you're still wrong. But yeah, we should be fine with Western civilization. And then he says nationalism. When did nationalism become bad? Well, depending on the, um, I guess depending on the definition of nationalism. I would say sometime around, I don't know, Germany 1940s. We stopped like we, we stopped liking that term a good bit because there was a particular guy that used it quite poorly. Uh, but if you just mean uh, if you mean I, I consider my country first, that's what I consider first. I, I guess you're still fine. I still think a Christian should have an issue with that. Um, we are for our countrymen first, maybe. I, I don't even know if that's true. I mean, as a Christian. I'll say this. I don't feel any more loyalty to an American than I do someone from the Congo. I don't feel any more loyalty to an American than I do a Canadian or a Frenchman or a Mexican or a Honduran, a Guatemalan. I just don't feel it. Like in my soul, if I am, I got an American in front of me in a Ecuadorian. What do you call someone from Ecuador in front of me? I'm going to feel the same thing about them. I don't feel anything different because, hey, that guy was also born on some soil that happens to be the same country that I am. Some lines we made up in 1787. Uh, it's, well, we've been making them up as we go. Like, it's just not a thing for me. Like, it's... Uh, there's. I, I would imagine for the Christian, you, I think you might identify with me on that some. Like, if, i tell you this. If you tell me my next-door neighbor and easily... Who's like? Let's say they're a say they're a Cowboys fan, like I am. Um, they really, really like Ronald Reagan. You know, they they like a lot of the same things I like. Um, they uh, they don't drive slow in the left lane, and they don't believe like they're not a they're not a Jesus follower. And then you give me someone from Morocco who is a Jesus follower, but drive slow in the left lane he's a Giants fan uh if he even you know what he's not even a Giants fan in football because he likes soccer because he's from Morocco you know who I feel more connected to the Moroccan because he's a Jesus guy 
not not my person over here. So even nationalism has some of something of an issue there too. So all right. So that's Steve King. It was in the news. He said a terrible thing. The Republicans in the House voted to take him off of every committee. They basically censured him. He's become a pariah. This is good. And I wanted to add my voice. To, I'm not associated with the Republican Party, but I'm associated with conservatism, and Steve King is thought to be a conservative. And if he is saying things like that, let me go ahead and distance myself. Steve King's not a conservative. Steve King's a racist. Steve King's a guy that needs to be expelled from Congress. The next election, he needs to be beaten. And Republicans should be doing this. They should be embarrassing him for what he said. Now, let me also add this. Republicans did the right thing. They did the right thing by punishing someone in their caucus who said a terrible thing and did a wrong thing. Because you know who doesn't do this ever? Democrats. Democrats can use terrible language, can associate with people like Louis, uh, Louis Farrakhan. They can, uh, li- they can associate with people like Linda Sarsour, who was a, I mean, just a horrend. She associates with really bad people in the Middle East. Let's say it that way. And you never punish them. You you never punish uh, on, on the left their members. Because for them, you know, if you're part of the ideology, if you're part of the oppressed groups, we, we they'll, stay, they'll stay by you for anything. And so that happened in the news this week. If you didn't know, Steve King said a terrible thing. It's objectively terrible. And uh, I, I want to make clear that that's not part of uh, American conservative ideology. Steve King deserved all of the hate he got for it, and it's been it's been good to see Republicans actually respond like they did. Next up, Tulsi Gabbard. If you're not familiar with Tulsi Gabbard, she is a congresswoman from Hawaii. And she's an Iraq war vet. She is young-ish. I think she's in her late 30s. And she's, uh, especially for a person in Congress, visually appealing, uh, interesting personality. Her foreign policy uh, aligns not really with most Republicans and Democrats. I would put it in the Rand Paul-ish, uh, the, the Rand Paul level, like of not isolationism, but like we, we we think we're overextended and probably doing too much, like the United States being the policeman of the world, that kind of thinking. And so uh, that's that's who she is. She, uh, and also she's been getting some hate this week because in the early 2000s, when or I, I don't know if it was the early 2000s because I can't do the math in my head, but when she was 19 and 20, she worked for her parents. Her parents were activists against gay marriage in Hawaii. Again, she's a Democrat. Her parents were activists against gay, gay marriage in Hawaii and were part of a group that did gay reparative therapy, trying to have trying to help people who were gay pray the gay away or otherwise therapy the gay away. That was who she was. And so she's gotten some hate from the left this week for that. Now, she's declared she's running for president. She um, is a really left-wing person. I mean, she's a liberal in most things, taxes, regulation, all that stuff. Uh, but I think she has a decent foreign policy. But she she's presenting herself more as a, a middle-of-the-road Democrat. I would never vote for her in a general election, I don't think, because uh, she... She has positions that are untenable for me. The same way I, I couldn't vote for Donald Trump because of who he was and the positions that uh, he held. I could never vote for Tulsi Gabbard. But I am curious to this. If there's ever been an election, if there's, if there's ever been an election where there was room for a real third-party challenge, it was 2016. 
because majorities of Americans disliked Hillary Clinton and majorities of Americans liked, disliked Donald Trump. Like on election day, when those polls were taken, they both had a majority of Americans say, we don't like them. I think we're about to have it again where a majority of Americans don't, still don't like personally the president. Remember, he didn't win the popular vote. He wasn't even close, really. And Democrats, I think, are probably going to do the crazy thing. They're probably going to nominate an insane person, like a far-out left-winger who Americans don't connect with. And it makes me curious about people like Tulsi Gabbard, that she might have a a third way. And so I'm going to tease that for you. I think there might be a third-way candidacy for someone like Tulsi Gabbard, and I have a very unique idea about who maybe her VP might be. So we'll come back. We'll talk about that. I also want to talk about some Trump and Russia stuff. I want to get into this Your Morals thing, yourmorals.org that I did this week. We'll do that and hopefully some NFL playoffs. We'll do all of it when we return for the remainder of the Corey Act show. Welcome back for the final segment of the Corey Truax Show. Here's what we were doing right before the break. So Tulsi Gabbard, the congresswoman, the Iraq war vet, the Democrat from Hawaii, has declared she's running for president, and she intrigues me for this reason. She runs as a moderate-leaning, a middle-of-the-pack type Democrat, and with that military background, she even has some some credence there. She's still too left-wing for me because basically everybody is, but she's intriguing. Now, my thought is this. If there's ever been a an environment where there could be a third way, where Republicans have a nominee who is unpopular because he is who he is, and Democrats have a nominee because they make a mistake and nominate an insufferable person. If there's ever been a place for a third way, it was 2016. Libertarians ruined it. No one else came along. She intrigues me as someone who would reach across the aisle, as it were, and go try to find a Republican as a VP. And there's a there's something sneaking suspicion in me about Jeff Flake, the the congressman from no the senator or senator from Arizona who was a big Trump. Uh, he was one of his detractors. You know, his his final speech on the Senate floor was really dedicated to hey here's all the ways in which this particular president fails morally. And it was an accurate speech. Uh, it was just a weird way to go out. <laughs> uh, but Jeff Flake gives that speech. I see a real, a real scenario where Tulsi Gabbard tries to team up with Jeff Flake and run as like this third option. It's still not an option I could I could get behind, but if there's ever been um if there's ever been a time for it, uh, it's it's now. And I almost just say it as a as a prognosticator, so that if it happens, I can get credit for having said, "Hey, here's a possibility that's really weird in American politics." And if it ends up happening, we can go back to the show that aired the the I don't know the, was it the third week the third week of January. And if this is, ends up being the case a year and a half from now, I'm going to look like a genius. So I'm going to go ahead and put it on tape or on digital recording, because this is not tape, that I said so. All right, so that was the Tulsi Gabbard part. Next up is uh, yourmorals.org, yourmorals.org. Let me encourage you to go out there and take a, a free, fairly long uh, quiz uh, about your morals. So when you sign into yourmorals.org, it has a ton of quizzes you can take. The best one is called the Moral Foundations Quiz. This is from a guy named Jonathan Haidt. Jonathan Haidt wrote two of my favorite books, one called The Righteous Mind, and the other is called uh, The Coddling of the American Mind. He is a 
a social scientist from New York University. He's a left winger. He is a secular guy, but a really brilliant thinker. You know, two weeks ago, I actually played him on my show. I played that video he did about overparenting and how we, you know, you ask kids or kids my age, you know, when were you allowed to go out by yourself? And we might say nine or ten, but you ask kids now, when are you allowed to go out by yourself and just interact with other kids and have to figure out how to get through conflict? And it's now 13, 14, 15, 16. And so no one figures out at a young age anymore how to interact with each other, how to settle conflict with one another. And so they get into work, they get into college, and there's a conflict. All they know to do is call the boss. All they need to do is call HR because they've never had to figure out a conflict on their own. That's Jonathan Haidt. So two very good books. I'd encourage you to even pick those up or listen to the audiobook. He went back into some really ancient thinking on morality and where humans derive it. Now, from a Christian worldview, we know we derive uh, morality. It comes from the Bible. It comes from the, the image of God in us. But I don't think this research contradicts that. This research builds on that structure and organizes it for us. And so here's what he's found through humankind, through time and location, five pillars of morality, five things that we care about, maybe to differing amounts. And then he's able to, to figure out, because he's a left-winger, uh, he'll, he'll put it out there, liberals tend to care about these parts of the pillars of morality. Conservatives care more about these, and this is why they're different. It's not that they one side's immoral and one side's immoral, it's that they care more or less about these different pillars. And so one quick word about his research, and then I want to give you my results and the five pillars. He found that conservatives, self-identified conservatives in his study that take the quiz, they care about all five pillars a, a lot. They just care about some more than others, where liberals only cared about a certain set of the foundations. There was a few they didn't care about at all. Uh, when I saw my results, what I found was I'm weird. I don't fit into any of the American political spectrum ideologies. So here you go. From uh, Jonathan Haidt, author of Righteous Mind and the Coddling of the American Mind, New York University, and his large uh, bit of research, the five pillars or uh, five foundations of morality. The first one is care. How much we cherish the idea of uh, care and harm. So how much do we care when someone's being harmed? Uh, and how much do we care when someone is being comforted or care for other people? Number two, fairness. How much do we care that someone is getting what they deserve, whether that be they're getting the punishment they deserve or that someone's not being taken advantage of, that we want proportionality or equality? Number three, loyalty. How much do you stand by your family, your nation? Like you, This is part of your deep morality that there's loyalty to it. Number four, authority or respect this tradition of standing by your cultures, your nations, your family's traditions and respecting the authority that's been established, and then finally sanctity or purity, your how much you abhor disgusting things and disgusting behaviors. That last one, sanctity or purity, he found some really interesting stuff on how uh, left-wing people for a long time don't care about sanctity or purity. That's not a thing. Until... This idea of uh, GMOs, genetically modified foods, and uh, eating uh, eating natural came along. And now, for a different reason, left-wing people tend to care about sanctity and purity, but for them it doesn't mean sexual ethics. To them it doesn't mean behaving, uh, behaving in a way that's not crude. 
For them, it means behaving in a way that where you're not eating all the wrong things. you got to be uh, all natural. But they, they start to care more about it. So those are your five pillars. Uh, care, or you, or you might call that at, uh, being adverse to harm. So care, fairness, loyalty, authority, and sanctity. I scored the lowest on loyalty. I apparently don't care much at all. Uh, if you come from my tribe, if you come from my team, if you come from my family, what I tend to, tend to care about apparently is right and wrong. And if you're a part of my tribe and you're wrong, then you're wrong. And so I don't feel a lot of necessity to come alongside you and feel loyal to you. And so I scored a great, a very low on loyalty. This uh, made me not very conservative. And uh, he had another good example of this. The Colin Kaepernick uh, conflict was a good example. I just don't particularly feel loyal to that flag. And so I didn't care. I just, I just, I couldn't get offended. Even if I tried really hard, I get really offended that he's kneeling down during the special song. I can't get offended by it. But conservatives who are so offended by it, well, their morality, their foundation of morality that's about loyalty, it was offended in them. Be loyal to your country. Be loyal to your group. And so they found it to be offensive. Where on the left, they were coming from their fairness and proportionality. They saw him having that protest, and their morality says, well, he's saying something about fairness, and that matters more than loyalty. And so one of the reasons it's good to do this is to recognize that when you disagree with somebody, it's not necessarily because they're immoral and you're moral. Maybe you're just valuing different foundations of morality at different degrees. So a couple others uh, of these. I also apparently care about sanctity and purity a whole bunch. I really care if people do the right things uh, at the right time, in the right way. I want them to do the right things. That's a big deal to me, apparently. I scored quite low on authority. Again, this is one of the ways that I was not, like, that sanctity and purity thing. The left, when they take, the, they take the, uh, this, this quiz, they don't care at all. And you can see that, right? You can see it in, the, in some of the parades. You can see it on what the left likes to put on their movies and what they'll sing about. Like, you can see it in pop culture that t- tends to be left-wing anyway. They don't care about purity and sanctity, but I do care about it a lot. The folks on the right, they really care about loyalty. Be loyal to your group, and I don't care about it at all. It's not a big thing to me. Um, also on authority, I scored quite low uh, because, again, I don't know, my my uh, my true north, as it were, is right and wrong, not are you in charge? You're the person in charge? Well, are you right or wrong? I don't care if you're happy to be the person in charge. Uh, but and So that made me a little bit more uh, left-wing there. But then the two ideologies, as it were, uh, left and right, were almost identical in their reactions to questions on care and fairness. It seems to be both of them responded the same to cruelty to animals. Both of them responded the same to kids who are being abandoned. Now, that might end up ending in different policies for the two. So the uh, the conservative person feels deeply about the kid who's abandoned and then says, we need to do something about making adoption easier. We need to do something about making families stronger. And the left-wing person says, I feel deeply about this kid who's abandoned, so we need to create a government program to pay for him. But it's important to realize that when the conservative and the, and the liberal disagree with each other on what to do with the abandoned kid, with the, with the abused pet, that they're coming from the same place. They both care. They just happen to have different solutions for it. Or that fairness and proportionality. Uh, I actually scored a little bit lower on fairness because some of the questions were things like, 
do you do you care if one percent of the population has forty percent of the wealth? No. What did the one percent of that population produce? Did they produce forty percent of the products? Did they have a, were they were they Steve Jobs and Bill Gates? Did they create this awesome phone in my hand? Did they come up with the idea that runs the business world with Microsoft? They have 40% of the stuff? Okay, well, you came up with 40% of the value. I'm surprised you only have that much. And so it's not, I don't need proportionality, I don't need equality. But for folks on the left, that's very important to them, that there is equality and fairness and proportion of what people have. And so my point here is this, is this. Go take the quiz. It's totally free. It'll take you... 15, 20 minutes, yourmorals.org. It is an ugly website. They spent, like, this is definitely an academic website. They don't care what it looks like. They didn't spend any money on graphics. It's hideous. You do have to give them your uh, demographic data. Like, you need to tell them your email address, your age, uh, gender, stuff like that. Um, And then you can sign in and take any of their tests. But the moral foundations test is really interesting, and I think it helps reveal a little bit that the people that you think you dislike so much, they're not a moral hellions. They just have a different set of morals. Or at least, ha, I hate to say it that way. They value other parts of morality more than you do, and you value other parts of morality more than they do. Maybe the last thing here, because we have like five minutes left. The story over the weekend from the New York Times. I believe that was the New York Times, might have been the Washington Post, that said there was a period of time in 2016 that the FBI did open briefly an investigation to determine whether or not the President of the United States, then the candidate for President of the United States, was a Russian agent. And I saw some people that I generally respect. Some of them I more than respect, like I really do admire, out on social media. See, we knew it. We knew he's a Russian agent. Guys, Donald Trump's not smart enough to be a Russian agent. I'm just kidding. Don't, 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 but for real, there are criticisms of the President of the United States that are totally rational. I've made many of them. This Russia stuff, when this report comes out in a few months from Mueller, if, if you are one of the, uh, the President's detractors and you are counting on this Russia thing to come up with there's this mass conspiracy, you are, I think... It's some level delusional, and if you're not delusional, you have been lied to in a way that's really unfortunate. There's been a certain portion of the media you paid attention to that's that's asked you to believe that, like, Deus Maxima, like Ma- Maxina. How do you say that? Deus Maxima? I can't say the word. But uh, the God of the machine. The God of the machine comes out of the machine and is just going to go down to the White House and pick him up and take his orange head out of there. Don't count on it. You're going to be quite disappointed. Guys, I know what happened in the 2016 election. I can tell you. Uh, Democrats nominated the most unlikable person in the history of humankind. Um, She didn't show up to Wisconsin. She didn't show up to Pennsylvania. And she didn't show up to Michigan. And a bunch of, bottom line, minority voters who showed up for Barack Obama didn't show up for her. And Donald Trump won by a little bit. He won by tens of thousands of votes in those three states for that exact reason. It wasn't the Russians, okay? Uh, it just it, There's just no evidence there. And you're going to be really disappointed when it comes out that there really is nothing there. And so I saw this out on social media. Criticize the stuff that deserves criticism. And where evidence exists, lay it in. That's fine. But there's just nothing here. 
in the end, I uh, let's let's make everybody mad. I think the Trump Russia stuff is going to be the equivalent of the Obama Kenya stuff. The people who thought there was enough evidence to believe the president of the United States, President Obama, was born in Kenya. There's just a different set of people who think that this president is colluding actively with Vladimir Putin. Like, again, even just think about the personality. Is that what Donald Trump does? Does he collude to someone else's benefit? Is that what he does? Also, does he seem like someone who could keep a secret? Do you think he's a guy who's going to get into a, into an interview setting and not say, I got to tell you, Vladimir Putin is great. He's really the president. He's the secret president. He's the guy. Like, of course he can't keep that secret. And so, let's drop the Russia thing and move on to things that matter. Two more thoughts. Um, one, I have now made it through almost 50 minutes of broadcasting, and I'm very proud to say I've not brought up the president, McDonald's, and the Clemson football team because all of you that brought it up, that's a really dumb thing to spend your time on. Get on over that and do something else. Everybody grow up. Final thing is NFL playoffs this weekend. We have the AFC and NFC championship games. Uh, we have the – I can't stand the New England Patriots. Some of my great – my best friends are New England Patriots fans, and uh, they're going to be in the NFC, the AFC championship game for what seems like the 50th year in a row. Uh, but they're going to be going to the Kansas City Chiefs. And we have in the NFC, we have the Rams. Uh, now the Los Angeles Rams are going to be hosting – no, they're going to New Orleans for the Saints. Uh, these are the four uh, highest-scoring offenses in the league. And so it should be a ton of fun. I don't think we're going to see any blowouts here. Uh, for prediction purposes, as we come to the end here, give me the Patriots uh, just because they don't lose in these situations. So Belichick and Brady don't lose. Give me the Patriots 38-34, mark it down, and give me the Saints. Give me the Saints. I'm gonna, uh, Give me the Saints 41-38. That's going to be my score call on that game. Hope they're, uh, hope they're lots of fun. Close ones, it should be a ton of points all the way around. If you would be so kind, share the show, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. You can connect to me in any of those places. But where you find the show, if you would share it with others and tell someone else about it, be like those who have shared information with me. I got 50 minutes. It's a gaping chasm of time to fill with content every week. So the more you help me with stories and sending them my way, it's highly appreciated. We'll be back with another new edition of the show next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.